earlier this week, uh, I got to share with some of the staff. We were talking about what was God was doing at the conference, and uh, and through the weekend, the Lord had really spoken to me out of Exodus 33. And in Exodus 33, there's this exchange between God and Moses, and the Israelites have been waiting on this promise, what seems like forever. It was promised to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and then they went into Egypt, and they were in Egypt for hundreds of years, and then they're coming out of Egypt, and finally, like, it feels like the promise is, is coming, like it's happening, they can almost see it, and then there's this moment where where God says to, to Moses, he says, I'm not going to go with you guys, stiff-necked, stubborn people, I'm going to destroy them all, and Moses is like, no, 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 don't destroy them, and he says, I, the Lord says to Moses, I will send an angel before you, and he'll drive out everyone in your way. He'll drive out the Hizites, the Canaanites, all the other ites. Like, we'll take care of them. This angel will go before you, eliminate everything, and it'll deliver you into this promise. And Moses goes back down, and he talks with the people, and he comes back, and he says, Lord, if you don't go with us, we don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it if we're not coming with you. And this, this worship set reminded me of this. We're singing, do it again, talking about the promises of God, and I am I am all for the promises of God. I just got this little booklet thing. It says, the Lord says yes to over 3,000 promises. And it's just scriptures where like, it's a promise in scripture and you can stand it and be like, yes, yes, yes. So I'm all about the promises. And then we go into the next song where it says, we're, we're crying out for more in your presence. We come alive. And I'm thinking, oh, but God bless your presence. And I was hit both this weekend and reminded again now that there are promises that us have, as a congregation have been waiting for. And there are promises that us individually, I'm sure, I've got some that I've been waiting for years that I haven't quite seen yet. And I'm crying out, God, like, I want to see this promise. I know it's in your heart. I know it's in heaven. Let me see it here on earth. And yet I'm finding even more so God is tuning my heart to say, but Lord, more than I want that promise, I want your presence. God, even more than I want to see you move, even more than I want to see the deliverance, even more than I want to see coming into my blessing, I just want your presence. And so I want to encourage that. I know some of us have been standing on a promise for, for loved ones to be saved or for healing in our physical bodies or insert your thing there. We've been standing on those promises for years and, and I believe that we still need to. God is a good God and he is coming with that deliverance. He's coming with that breakthrough and I believe it. But man, I don't want to get so caught up in what his hand can do for me that I miss his heart or I miss his face or I miss his goodness. And so... Um, so Marcus, if we can just back into that, I want to I want to get lost in His presence for just a little bit. I want to I want to believe for His promise, but I want to get lost in His presence. Would you guys do that with me, Father? We trust in Your goodness and we believe and we declare Your faithfulness in our lives. But Father, in this moment, we don't want the promises if we have them without You. If it's just Your angel that's making it happen and we don't have Your Spirit, then Father God, hold on to it. Let us have Your Spirit also. Father, pour out your spirit onto us. We are ready for more. In Jesus' name. Open up the doors. We are ready. We are ready. Crying out for more. In your presence, we come alive. Open up the doors. We are ready.
has said it, you have heard it from generation to generation. You've heard the cry of the heart of your people. And this cry resonates with us in our generation. We say, Lord, we are hungry for your presence. We are thirsty for you. And we want nothing but your presence, Lord. Unless your presence goes with us, Lord, don't take us up from this place. But oh, Lord, let your presence go with us. Oh, Lord, let your presence surround us. Oh, Lord, we rejoice and we set our mind upon your glorious majesty. And we ask you, Give us an increase of your presence in this city and in this house, Lord. You have made us as a dwelling place for your spirit, so we say, Spirit, dwell. Let no part of this church, of our hearts, of our lives go uninhabited by your presence. Let no part be without the fullness of your presence. We ask you for presence. We ask you for glory. We ask you for the fullness. We ask you, God, for the rooting and the grounding. We ask you for the beyond all that we can think or imagine. We ask you for your presence, for the glory of your name. We ask you for this.
Amen and amen. Awesome. Well, we have the privilege of <laughs> diving into the word with Andrew Nemeth. He's going to lead us through 1 Corinthians 7. It's hard to get out of that place, isn't it? <laughs> it's like we could kind of just stay here. Mm, so good. And uh, I'm just so grateful for Andrew. Oh my goodness, I'm sorry guys. I just do that to wake you up. It's just a little shock to your system. It's a shock to the sound system too. Um, but so grateful for Luna and Andrew. How, how many of you guys are grateful for this couple in our church and in our lives? The, uh, their heart set on God, the way they're raising their family, the way that they are leading this community, I'm just so blessed to to walk alongside them. And so, Andrew, we are grateful for you and your teaching gift. And so let's just pray for Andrew as he opens the word. Lord, we just ask you for the grace that you give your messengers. We ask you for the grace to unfold the mysteries of God. We ask you for the weightiness of your presence upon your word. We ask you that you would do more than what Andrew can do, that you would open our hearts to your word, but you would use his words anointed by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask you for that power in preaching, that power in communicating the gospel that Paul cried out for. We ask you for that, for our brother Andrew and for our own hearts tonight. We just say we love your word. And we say we submit to everything in it. We love your word and we submit to everything in your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, as Pastor Marcus said, uh, I get to pick up where last week, or not last week, two weeks ago now, Pastor JR left off in um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I'm going to be starting in verse 29 and I'm going to finish out the chapter tonight. But before I, I jump into that, I just want to revisit that Exodus 33 thing again. That hit me so hard this weekend, and not just as like a novelty, like, oh, this is a fun little like teaching moment, or like a little nugget that I can share, or even as just like a pep talk to get you guys to worship more. It was, uh, it hit me so impactful because it exposed, it sort of highlighted a thing in my heart. Here I am of waiting a year, maybe two years for some, for some specific promises in my life, and, and what the Lord was showing me through that passage was like, would you, would you take it if I, like, would you take that deal? The, I'll send an angel, he'll give you everything I've promised, but I'm not going to go with you. And, and I think what was so impactful about it is in my mind, I was like, I think I would. And, and then like the Holy Spirit and his loving kindness, like wasn't, wasn't just going to leave me there and be like, well, you took the wrong deal, like too bad for you. But it just sort of like he helped coach me through that moment, like a good father and was just showing me like, hey, here's an area in your life where you're chasing after the promises of me, but it's so good, but you're missing kind of the greater thing. And I just like, and I, and I kind of try to put myself in the shoes of those, those Israelites or Moses specifically, where he's not just been waiting a couple years or like his lifetime, but it's been several, several lifetimes of people who've been waiting. And despite this promise, like they're in slavery. They're, they're seeing the opposite of the promise. 
And, uh, and yet when offered, like, you will have everything you've ever asked for, Moses is like, no deal. If I don't have you, I don't want it. And I think there's times where, like, I don't know, if we're honest, we'd just be like, yeah, I'll take the deal. Like, life's been hard. I want the, I want the free pass. I want the easy way out. I want the promised land now. That's fine if an angel gets me there. And uh, because I guess an angel's still pretty miraculous. Like, that seems nice. But I don't know. The Lord is just really stirring something in my heart. And he's reminding me, like, oh, like, don't forget. Like, that thing will come in my presence. Don't take it apart from my presence. And so, I don't know. I'm just leaving that with you. That's free. That's not a part of this. That's a... Uh, that's different. That's for that. Anyways, um, basketball. That's my transition into 1 Corinthians 7. Basketball. We've got a week left in February, give or take, and then it jumps into March. And you know what that means? March Madness, or so I'm told. I'm not a big sports person, but I get it. Like, I know enough. Like, I see the Google headlines and the Twitter feeds, and so, like, I kind of know enough to jump into a conversation. Like, some of the guys in my life group will be chatting, and I'll be like, oh, yeah, did you see the thing? And I know just enough to, like, to steer the conversation there, and then I just slowly, like, fade out. Like, that was my, that was my two cents. Like, I'm just going to leave those. And, uh, and so basketball, in what we see in, in this portion of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, Paul is writing to this church in Corinth, and he tells them the time is short. And I couldn't help but thinking of all those, like, movie moments, and even the real-life moments where, like, you know, five seconds left on the clock, and coach calls a timeout, and everyone comes up and huddles, and he's like, all right, guys, we've only got five seconds left. Like, the game is close. We just need one three-pointer, and they're looking around, and everyone knows, like, the star player, like, he's the one who's got to get the ball, and everyone's like, all right, we'll just get the ball to Tony or Michael or whoever it is. We've got to get the ball to him. And so the, the play starts, and they're watching the clock, and it feels like this five seconds on the clock, somehow Hollywood stretches it into, like, a two-hour movie, and the whole thing unfolds, and there's, like, a bunch of drama and a bunch of, like, great camera angles and dynamic lighting. And really, it's just a bunch of sweaty guys, like, running up and down, like, a hardwood floor. Uh, but in this moment, like, we all get so enraptured in, like, oh, my gosh, five seconds. And then four seconds. Like, will they get the ball? They're, like, three seconds. The time is short. Like, is it going to happen? Can they, can they come up from behind? Like, can they make it? Can they do it? And then buzzer beater, like, whew, he lets go. And, and it swooshes, and we're, like, wow. And those stories are incredible. And I feel like that's kind of the energy or the atmosphere that Paul is writing as we jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In verse 29, he, he starts off and he says, But let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. And so I want to, I want to phrase this whole message, this whole kind of look at this passage of Scripture with that sort of last-minute buzzer beater, the, the final seconds where there's been a timeout and, and coach is calling us and he's saying, but, but the time is very short. In this whole passage, I want to just sort of read through it so we get some context, so we understand what's going on. And then I want to go back and I want to just hit on some key thoughts. I want to kind of dig into it deep and unpack it quite a bit. It begins, verse 29, as I read, but let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, the time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. For this world, as we know it, will soon pass away. I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. 
An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him, but a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. But if a man thinks that he's treating his fiancée improperly and will inevitably give in to his passion, let him marry her as he wishes. It is not a sin. But if he has decided firmly not to marry, and there is no urgency, and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries his fiancé does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single, and I think I'm giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. So these are the 11 verses that we're going to unpack tonight. Um, these are the ones that we're going to look into, and it kind of continues the thoughts that Pastor J.R. was working on two weeks ago, but then it digs into some, some other ones a little bit differently. And so tonight, as we've already mentioned, the time is short. Paul's telling him the time that remains is very, very short. And, and some of these key thoughts that we want to unpack from this is that. The time is very short. And then from there, those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. We want to talk about how, like, even just the things we have, that we are owning them, that they aren't owning us. Um, he says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. We're going to talk about why and what that means. Um, he's going to talk about how our interests are divided, how we can live with undivided interests. And then lastly, he says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. So that's going to be kind of our roadmap for tonight as we unpack these 11 verses. But as we do, I want to take kind of a zoomed out, a macro approach to it. I don't, when I first, uh, Marcus and Pastor Gerard let me know like, oh, this is the kind of the text you have to teach from. And as I read through it the first time, I was like, whoa, he's talking about not being married. I was like, I'm married. Like, I don't know what to do. This is, I guess this is one of those like, don't do as I do, do as I say messages. Uh, and then as I really started to read through it, I realized like, okay, his bigger picture from this is that the time is short. I don't want you to be distracted. I want you to be about the Lord's business. And that's the biggest takeaway that we can have. So if you hear nothing else, hear that. The time is short. The Lord's coming back. we got to work hard. And there are some things in life that will distract us from that. Boom. Like, that's the whole message. And so if you're super tired, you can fall asleep now. And the rest of it will just be like cherry on top. That's the bulk of it. But he starts with that opening line. He says, the time that remains is very short. Paul was one of the most driven apostles um, he wasn't one of the original 11 or 12 with Jesus and said he was Saul who was persecuting Christians. Lord met him on the Damascus Road. He had this whole experience. He was blinded. Um, whole long story. He gets miraculously transformed. He goes from Saul to Paul, and then he is set on fire. He's not content to just kind of like minister to his coworkers or like just, you know, like while he's mending tents or like doing what he does. He's not just like sharing Jesus like casually. He is on fire, and he is motivated. And so his whole rest of his life becomes devoted to this. So much so that he is, he is preaching so much that people start putting him into prison. They're like, whoa, you're like causing chaos. You can't be doing this. And they put him in prison. And when he's in prison, he's still about the Lord's business. He's writing letters to the churches that he planted. Uh, he's writing what later becomes like most of our New Testament. He's doing all of this work because he is 
He is super motivated. And a big portion of the motivation is not just like, oh, like another jewel in my heavenly crown. Like his motivation is the Lord is coming back soon and I need to get as many people into the kingdom of God as I can. And so he is motivated by this this thing. So throughout we see this idea that the time that remains is very short. Now that's a little confusing for us because he was probably operating in this time frame of like, oh, like the Lord said he's coming back. Like I understand I have this revelation the Lord is returning. It's probably going to be soon. And soon, like we think of soon. Like, oh, like, you know. Yeah, yeah, here it is, like 2,000 years. And we're still like, oh, yeah, Jesus is coming back soon. And we're a lot more casual about it because if it hasn't happened in the last 2,000 years, it's probably not going to happen tomorrow. And yet at the same time, there's this conflicting thought that it hasn't happened in 2,000 years. It's got to be happening soon. Like if they thought it was soon then, how much sooner should it feel now? And so even though, like, there's this temptation to feel, like, this complacency about, like, oh, the Lord's second coming, like, oh, yeah, he's going to come back, like, soon, whatever that means. Like, we should be even more, not worried, and not necessarily concerned, but just sort of, like, this urgency of, oh, my gosh, like, 2,000 years has come by, like, soon, he's almost late. Like, Jesus should be back any minute now. If I told someone, like, oh, I'll pick you up soon, and, like, 2,000 years later, I pull up to their house, they'd be like, I'm dead, (laughs) Or whatever the thing they'd say. And so his directive about the time is very short. That hits us in a weird way. But I want to encourage us that, like, it's no less true now than it was then. In fact, it's even more true now. And so we should be as motivated as Paul to do as much good as we can. And so what I want you to hear is the rest of this exhortation, the rest of this encouragement from Paul is from this place of the time is short. If he knew that we had thousands of years... He might have written it differently, but because of his understanding of the urgency of the return and what we need to do to prepare the world for the returning Christ, like he was so motivated that he was saying, let's restructure our lives. Let's not just be casual about this. Let's be fanatic because what this means changes everything. And so that's the, that's the heart that he's coming from. It's this motivation of the time is short. It's not that he hates marriage and I don't want to get caught up in just the like, why is he hating on marriage? It's not that he hates marriage. It's that he understands that there's so much work to be done. Let's not get distracted even by good things, marriage being one of them. So he continues on. Um, He says, uh, time is short. Don't get caught up on these things that are going to pass away. Instead, cling to what is unshakable. He says, those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. Those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. Money, we use money every day. Homes, businesses, status, bowling trophies, things that we get, things that we have, things from this world that aren't inherently good or evil. They're just like neutral. Like it's just a tool. Like shelter is just a shelter. Money just helps us to exchange value. Like those things aren't inherently evil. And so Paul's not writing to us about sin issues. He's not writing to us about these big like addictions or like things in our closet or things we need to repent from. He's writing to us about things that just aren't God's business that just aren't kingdom values. Like how much money you have isn't a kingdom value. That's not something that when you get to heaven, he's like, wow, like your 401k portfolio did really well. This is not a conversation you and Jesus are going to have. And so Paul is writing, he's saying like, let's get rid of all these other things that are just distractions, that are just busy things. Like your bowling trophies, it's awesome. And I don't hate bowling, but it's just like, that's a thing that I imagine like old people do. And, uh, and so like (laughs) bowling trophies, like He's not going to care, like, what, what kind of trophies you've got in your, like, trophy closet or trophy room or, like, whatever it is. 
you're not going to care about like your awesome like garden or like your Christmas display lights. Like at the end of the day, he's, he's just not. Even though those things are cool. Like I put up Christmas lights. I played indoor soccer. Like I'm, I'm not bashing these things. I'm just trying to communicate Paul's perspective from this. His sense of urgency was let's not get caught up in these things. There's so little time left before Jesus comes back. Instead, let's not let those things, what does he say? He says, let's not become attached to them. Let's not make our life about our garden. Let's not make our life about, you know, getting into a better homes and garden with like our interior design. Let's not make our our lives about how good our, our kids did at their piano recital or their gymnastics meet. Like, let's not make our lives so much about our status or our workplace or the company we built or um, any of these things. Let's make it about what the Lord is about. And so he says, those who use the things of the world should not become attached to them. We see a similar thing teached by uh, the Apostle John. In, in 1 John chapter 2, Verse 15, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. He's saying, don't love the things of the world. And not because the things of the world are so evil. There are a lot of them that are. But some of the things of the world are just like normal things. Video games and social media and newspapers. Like Some of these things aren't bad. They aren't good. They're just neutral. They're in between. They're whatever. And, and when we get so attached to them, when we love them, when they're, when they're the highest priority in our life, when we wake up and the first thing we got to do is like, got to check my email. Like, how am I going to know what I'm doing with my day when, if I haven't checked my email? Or I've got I've to read the news. Like, how do I know what's going on in the world? And like, I'm all for being like an educated, like productive member of society. But, but man, if that is your like highest thing, like I first wake up and I've got to do this instead of I've got to be about my father's business, or I've got to be in his presence, or I've, I've got to get into the word. Instead of those things, I just come back to like Paul's urgency of, I don't, I don't understand how short the time is. Like I'm not in the huddle with coach, and he's saying, hey, like we've only got five seconds on the clock. I'm off like just staring at the paint in the, on the hardwood, like, oh, like look at these colors. Like I'm, I'm off doing my own thing, and the coach is calling a timeout. He's saying, hey, hey, like, there's not a lot of time left. We've got to be very intentional about this last few plays. And I'm off like on the bench just like, like twiddling my thumbs and like staring at my shoes. And I'm missing it. And it's not that I'm like actively sabotaging my team. I'm not bad. I'm not caught up in the sin thing. I'm just, I'm just missing it. I'm not in the huddle at all if my mind is so about the things of the world and not so about the things of God. And so Paul continues. One of these next key thoughts that I want to expound upon, he says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. This is a big part of why he's getting into marriage. It's not because marriage is a bad thing. It's not because he, he, he couldn't find a spouse, and so he doesn't think anyone else could find a spouse. That's not it at all. Uh, it's, he, he says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. And I think for people who are married, uh, marriage isn't a, a, a huge concern. It's not a big weight on our mind. It's not a big worry. But at the same time, it takes a lot of time. Uh, it takes a lot of, of energy. It takes a lot of focus. It takes a lot of intentionality. There's a lot of marriages that don't make it 20, 30, 40, 50 years because it's hard and because it does take work and because it does take energy and because it does take like this selfless love. And so Paul is writing that, that even some of these really good things can distract us from, from like what God is doing. And not necessarily in a bad way. It's just, it's still like a distraction. It's still a concern. I've got, uh, Luna and I are st- still pretty young. Um, we've only been married some years. And so we've got some single friends. And when I hear them talk, uh, it's, 
it's amazing how much free time they have. Uh, I don't know if you guys are in a similar season or if you have some of these like single, unmarried, no kids, families, or friends. They are, they are uh, incredible. <laughs> the amount of free time that they have, I have forgotten a little bit of what that's like. Uh, a lot of times I get to work with the middle school and the youth on Wednesday nights, and when I talk to them, it's like, hey, how are you doing? And the two like, most common responses we get are like, oh, I'm tired, or oh, I'm busy. And it's like, I kind of get it. Like, you're growing. You need lots of sleep. I get that aspect of it. But you're tired and you're busy. You're just going to school. Like, that's all you're doing. Your life's pretty easy. And I remember going from middle school to high school where it's like middle school, I just went to school, and then I came home and I played outside. And that was like, that was what I was busy with. If I were to have a calendar, it'd be like, well, you've got school from 8 to 3, and then from 3 to dinner, you've got to play outside. And then after dinner, you've got a little bit of homework and then some TV, and then it's bedtime. And be like, wow, my days are just packed. <laughs> then when I got into high school, it was like, okay, now I've got like those same things. But instead of playing outside, it's like now I've got a part-time job. Like I'm folding clothes at Target to help pay for car insurance. And so, like, so it's like, okay, I'm a little bit busier. And then you get into college, and it's like, oh, man, mom and dad can't just pay for all of college. I have to get a, a job that, like, more than just paying for car insurance. Like, I've got to pay for all that and some school bills and, like, all these other things. And so now it's like, okay, I'm going to college classes and I'm working full-time, like, and I'm doing all this stuff. Now I'm really feeling busy. And then, like, you, and then it, it shifts a little bit. Then you, like, you don't, you just have work and you don't have school and you're like, okay, I can take a breath. But then you meet someone and you're like, oh, like, I started meeting someone. And I can tell with my single friends when they've met someone, when I stop seeing them. Like, when they just disappear and I'm like, didn't we used to have a friend that was usually here? And they're like, oh, yeah, he met so-and-so. And it's like, oh, I figured. Always off having coffee with this girl, always off having, like, dinner with this girl, never around with his guys anymore. And, and it's funny how, like, it's that, and then, like, it goes into engagement. Now they're spending even more time together. It's like they're not just dating and, like, casual, and it's like, oh, like, I still have my friends, but I see you a lot. Now it's just like I've forgotten that everyone else exists, and I only have eyes for my fiancé, which is a beautiful season, but if you're their friend, you're kind of like, you're a terrible friend now. I never see you anymore. And they're so focused on the fiancé. And then, like, as it gets closer to that, to that special day, so focused on the wedding, so focused on, like, the arrangements and all these things, so busy. They feel so busy. They've got work. They've got this special someone. They're planning the event of a lifetime. So, so busy. And then they get married. And then it's like, wow, like, I thought I would just be around you all the time because, like, we live together. But still, I find myself not having time in the ways that I thought I would. Like, instead of having to drive to your house or drive somewhere to dinner, like, I'm just with you all the time, and I still feel like I have less time. And then you introduce kids to it, and it's like, wow, like, even busier. And so I think Paul had some family friends that had a lot of kids, and he was looking at it, and he's like, you know what, guys? Listen, we could do a lot more for the kingdom if we didn't have some things in our lives. I don't think it's that he didn't like those things. I know it's that God doesn't, that God doesn't, like this, that it's got, not that, this is confusing, it's a double negative. I know that God doesn't dislike those things. Am I saying that right? I'm confusing myself at this point. Okay. Thank you. Family is the, is the vehicle of revival. We've been praying for God to move, and we believe it's going to come in, in, in the form of a family. Family in the church, family amongst churches, like family. The, the language of heaven is family. God the Father, God the Son. Like, we are sons and daughters. We are adopted and we're heirs. Like, all that. All of that is family language. So God is in no way, in these scriptures, knocking family. What he is doing is he's taking what we uh, admonish as a high priority 
Like, marriage is a high mark. Family is beautiful. Family is wonderful. And he's saying our urgency for the things of the kingdom should be even higher. I don't think it's so much that he's trying to knock this marriage. Although there are some practicals. Like, we would have a lot more time in our day if we didn't have spouses or kids that we had to, like, taxi to places and clean up after and put to bed and feed and, like, make sure their shoes were on the other foot. Like, we would have a lot more time. Like, logistically, sure. But I don't think that's the the big takeaway from this is, like, you know what? Let's just stay single forever. Let's get rid of our families. We'll, like, send them somewhere else. Boarding school, that'll be great. I don't think that's the admonishment. There might be another interpretation of the scripture. We'll let someone next week, like, clean up whatever mess I make this week. But I think it's just showing us that, like, if we have a high priority for family, the kingdom of God should be an even higher priority. If we have a high priority for these things, like, let's get rid of every distraction that we can afford to get rid of and just be about the Lord's business. He continues on. He says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. And he's using marriage as like a concern. Um, It's interesting. I was talking with Marcus earlier today kind of about this and unpacking it. And I was going to go on like a tangent about sports and talk about how like sports could be a distraction. And I was like, it's interesting though, and Marcus pointed out, that when Paul was writing to this church in Corinth, like, they had their own, like, sport thing. They had something that was kind of second to the, to the Greek Olympics, and it was a big deal. And Paul didn't really, like, hit on that. So I wonder if Paul was, like, a big sports guy. Like, I wonder if he's, like, sports are great. That's not a distraction. Family, that's a distraction. <laughs> sports is okay. Let's keep, let's do the sports, the sports things. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. That's just something, we're going to be inventive with that. But he says, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. And he goes on to talk about how uh, a person who's married, his interests are divided. And, and again, we're using marriage just kind of as this placeholder for all the, the things that sometimes in our life are even good, but are still distracting us. When our interests are divided, when our life, when you, if you took a snapshot, or if you looked at our calendar and our checkbook, and if, and if you looked at the two things that make up kind of our life, where our time and our money goes, and we looked at them, we would see kind of get a better picture of, like, what our distractions are. You know, he says our interests are divided. We'd get an idea of where our interests are. And I don't, I don't know how to go into this without really, like, stepping on toes. And it's not just about, like, church attendance. That's not what I want you to hear from this. But when our, when our calendar is built around the presence of God and spending time with God and talking with people about God, and having life-giving conversations about, like, like meeting people and, and really questioning them, about, uh, questioning them about the condition of their soul because we love and we care. Not because we're trying to get another notch on our belt and, and trying to, like, woo-woo, look, look what I did, but because we genuinely love and care about them. When that's what our time, our attention, and our finances are being geared towards, our interests are not divided. But when we look at our day and we think, man, I'm busy, like that, that version three-minute devotional, I'll get to it tomorrow because my day is just so packed. I think maybe our interests have become divided. I think maybe like where our interests were supposed to be focused on God, I think maybe we've, maybe we've divided it amongst a bunch of other things. Maybe we got too busy with work or too busy like playing taxi and running the kids around or too busy in our own self-worth or our status or what other people think about us or keeping up with the Joneses or whatever it might be. I think sometimes maybe we get so caught up in these things that, that aren't even bad. I'm, again, I'm not talking about sin issues or addictions or things that we know are, are, are blatantly wrong. Thinking, what if there are some good things, like marriage, like family, like loving our children well, what if there's some good things that have taken the place of God 
What if there are some good things that have taken the place of our devotion to him? And what if we've forgotten that the time is short? What if we've missed the huddle with the coach that's saying, hey, five seconds left in the play. Like, let's get our head in the game. Like, let's be focused. Let's, let's execute this last play perfectly. And instead, we're just like, oh, I see my mom in the stands. And we're just like waving, you know, things that are good, but it's like, hey, that's not like, this is what we should be about. Paul says his interests are divided. He continues on a little bit further. It says, I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. And I think that's the big, that's a big takeaway. That's a big key thought from this passage. It's not that he's bashing family. It's not that he's against having kids. It's just he wants us to do whatever will help us serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. I wonder what are some distractions in our life that we need to cut out. Uh, Luna and I were with our life group last night, and one of the guys in the group was talking about how during the 21 days of fa- uh, prayer and fasting that we did as a church, the Lord really spoke to him and pressed on his heart. It was like an unction. It wasn't this audible, thus saith the Lord, but it was this thing inside of his spirit that, that was pointing him to the word discipline, that he was kind of seeing it over and over. He was hearing it in his soul. He was disciplined. The Lord was calling him to be disciplined, not disciplining him, but the Lord was calling him to, to live a life of, of discipline. And in it, the Lord was highlighting some things in his life that he was doing that weren't sin issues that some of the rest of us in our, in our life group were like, oh, those are things I do. Like, those are great. Like, I enjoy that. And the Lord was saying, hey, for you, for this season, I want you to pull back from these things. And, and he didn't have this language for it. The Lord didn't direct him to 1 Corinthians 7. But the Lord was just speaking to his heart saying, I, I want you to be disciplined in this area so you can be more about me. I want you to cut out these things, maybe a little less TV, maybe a, a, li- a few, few less movies, maybe a few less going out with the guys, and maybe just a little bit more me time. Or, or maybe a, a few more testimonies of like, oh, I prayed for this person, or oh, I met this person, or oh, I did this. Maybe a little bit more being about my business instead of being about your own business. And so he was sharing that with the group, and I was like, oh, like, that's, that's where the Lord is speaking to me out of this 1 Corinthians 7. And so it was encouraging to see this thing like coming about. But I'm just wondering, like, what are some of the distractions in our life? If Paul is admonishing us to live with as few distractions as possible, what are some of those? Again, not the sin issues, not these big, scary, like, things in the closet. That is, no, 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 not. Just, like, what are even some of the good things? What are some of the things that we do that could be distractions? Lastly, he says, so the person who marries his fiance does well, and the person who doesn't marry does even better. Um, we see this play out sometimes, and, and, and I admire the sacrifice and the, the steadfastness, I guess, of kind of like the monks and the nuns and some of the priests who would say, I'm not going to be married. Instead, I'm going to give myself solely to the kingdom of God and to building his church and to doing those things. I think that's really admirable. That wasn't the grace of my life. Thank God for my wife. Like, I'm very happy. But, uh, but there's something beautiful about that, about people who would make a, a vow to God to say, I want to be so much about your business. I want to be so much about it. So if you're married, that's great. If you're not married, wow, how awesome. You have so much more opportunity to give to the Lord your time and your attention and to live without distractions. And so I think that's a big part of, of what Paul is writing in this passage as we unpack it. Uh, what I want to do, I want to pray for you guys, and, and I've intentionally ended a little bit early so that we could get into small groups. We could clump up just threes or fours, and, and if you guys would, 
Um, not necessarily if you feel comfortable, but if you would be willing to uh, share a little bit with each other. Talk about and dialogue and brainstorm what are some things in my life that could be a distraction. Again, we're not trying to embarrass you with addictions or sin issues. These aren't big things. What are some of the good things in your life that maybe you've just taken a lot of time? What are some good things that maybe just aren't really lasting? They're just things that they're here today, they're gone tomorrow, they don't matter. Uh, at the end of our lives, it, it won't be anything we look back on and say, wow, I'm really glad that I won that spelling bee. Or like, you know, whatever the thing is, I don't know. But what is the thing that like when you get to heaven or when Jesus comes back, whichever comes first, and, and he says, wow, like, did you do everything I asked you to do? And you're like, yes. I had the house with the white picket fence, perfect attendance at my job. I got that promotion that you were really hoping for. And he's like, well, that's not really what I'm talking about. Like, those were cool, like, great. But did you do everything else? And it's like, oh, I was going to get to that. But I was really busy. I had all those kids. I had that wife. I'm busy. So I want to talk about, like, what are some of the good things in our life that maybe we've just spent a little bit too much time with? What are some of the good things in our life that maybe you've just taken a little bit too much of our, our mental energy or, or our time. And so if you guys would be willing to do that, let me uh, close in prayer and then we'll facilitate those little groups. So Father, we thank you so much for your word. Father, I pray that you would help us to recognize distractions for what they are. I pray that you'd help us to eliminate the sometimes good things that are keeping us from you. And for those of us with spouses or with families, fathers, I pray that you would help us to serve you well as their first priority because our children don't judge our soul and our spouses don't determine how we spend eternity. It's only you. Father, I pray that you would forgive us where we have built our families or our homes or our businesses, where we've built them up as idols, putting them in front of you and in front of your kingdom and in front of all the things that you've called us and asked us and commanded us to do. Father, I pray uh, that our hearts would be repentant and that we would turn from that, and instead we would put you in your rightful place as first, as preeminent, as the, the greatest thing in our life, that everything else would be a distraction, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But Father, I pray that you would help us to reorder our lives where you are first. Help us not to be foolish and to sacrifice our families on the altar of ministry, because we understand that neither extreme is what you call us to. So, Father, give us grace and wisdom to follow your word and to live as you've called us to. In Jesus' name, amen. Excellent. So if you guys would be willing, just to turn around in groups three, four, five, whatever's near you, clump up and, uh, and discuss just a little bit about this. Help dialogue with each other. Help pray with each other. What is the thing in your life? What are the things in your life that could be a distraction? Thank you guys for letting me share with you tonight. <laughs>